0: Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly And if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior.
1: So starting in verse 1, and we'll read this uh, chapter together. 1 Samuel 12, verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whom hands have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, "You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, "The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Drubbal and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was, ki- was your king, and now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord, your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty, for the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away. Both you and your king. And you remember once again, even considering that these words were spoken by Samuel three thousand years ago, and yet ring true. That though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. And let's ask His help as we look at His word together. Please bow with me, Father. We come before You, and Lord, we rejoice in knowing that You are the unchanging One. And, Lord, that the same gospel truth that was proclaimed even to Adam and Eve, Lord, is the same truth and hope in which we stand, Lord, that you have sent forth a Redeemer. And, Lord, you have faithfully um, put in place your prophets, and they have proclaimed the way that we should go, the way that we should walk in, even when we find ourselves, um, Lord, perhaps in in a, a situation that is the result of our own sin, our own disobedience, the consequences of our own actions. Lord, that you are still a merciful God and instruct us, uh, Lord, that there is always uh, refreshing water and, Lord, nourishment in your presence if we will humble ourselves and come before you. And so I pray that our hearts would receive this word, Lord, that we would just be uh, deepened in our resolve to walk in obedience to your word, dependence upon Christ. We thank you for the word that you've given to us, for having it. In our own language, I pray that it would truly be uh, sweeter than honey to our taste, Lord. It would be as water to uh, a parched soul. We pray that you would use it by your spirit to sanctify your people. And Lord, even for those that may not know Christ, that may not know of his beauty and Lord, his peace, that even we talked about and sang about this morning, we pray that you would be pleased to open eyes and ears to receive the salvation that is offered in Christ alone. And I pray that you help me to be clear in my words and thoughts, Lord, that it would be pleasing to you and in accordance to your scriptures. And Lord, as we prepare even for the Lord's table, that there would be a sense of anticipation uh, in, in, Lord, just this uh, being once again refreshed and renewed by your word. And even as we longingly await for the fullness of your kingdom to be realized at the return of Christ, help us to be steadfast, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. so this morning we are not going to necessarily finish this chapter there's uh obviously so much wonderful truth that we find in this message from samuel and and my in my bible at least there's the 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 heading above chapter 12 that says samuel's farewell address and in many ways, we may think that a little confusing because this is certainly not the last we see of Samuel and it's not, the, uh, in, 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 it's not in any way his uh, retirement or as though Samuel is kind of no longer t- uh, going to have a role to play in the life of Israel. So farewell address may be a little misleading. Um, if anything, this is a important transitional point for Samuel. And in many ways, this is the 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 end of a season of judges, and it is Samuel passing the torch of authority and leadership over to Saul, and him reminding the people uh, not only of, of their sin in this decision, but he also graciously points them the way in which they are to go. And so, Samuel stands here, almost as it were, as one foot, as a judge, though he is going to cease in that role in a large degree. But on the other side, we see the establishment of the prophet. The prophet of God begins to take a unique role in the life of Israel and will serve alongside the kings of Israel right up until Christ, who is, as we've been looking at, our final prophet, priest, and king. And so this is a shift in Samuel's ministry, his emphasis And he takes this opportunity to call the people back to God and to point them in the way that they should go. And I'm guessing for all of us, we can think of various times when we have possibly messed up and we've asked the question, now what? Now what do I do? Uh, Maybe sometimes in in something that really doesn't matter all that much, maybe you're trying to assemble something. And I remember at different times we've my wife and I have put together kitchen cabinets, you get them you know in the boxes or something. You put them together and, and I was always determined to to put them together without really looking at the instructions and Then you get to a point where you realize there was a few steps that you missed that were actually important, and you have to undo what you did and you 're like, "Oh, great now you know, now what do I do and if i'd followed my wife 's example and you know, used the instruction books, it would have worked a lot better, or even this uh, past week trying to navigate through Edmonton somewhat not that familiar with Edmonton and so usually uh, who's ever driving the other person in the passenger seat is going to help navigate and my wife uh, was reminding me that even if we turn off the wrong way or we miss an exit it's, it's okay we'll, we'll still get there in the end and just trying to remind ourselves that when you do find yourself turning off it's better to to not panic or to do something rash but to just uh, regroup and figure out okay how do we get back on course and maybe even in a more serious way, perhaps we find ourselves at different points where we have sinned against the Lord, and we know that we are guilty, we know that, that we have violated His command, and we sense in our soul this, this distant, distancing from God. He, he seems absent to us. He, he, he seems that our, our prayers are, are no longer heard, and, and that peace and joy of the Lord uh, is no longer present in our heart and soul. And... We may ask the question, now what? Where do I go from here? There is a temptation, perhaps, to, to throw up our hands. And sadly, as many today have done, they say, well, that's it. I, I'm just going to, to deconstruct my faith. I'm just going to try and undo this, this understanding, this worldview that I've developed through the Word of God. And people turn, turn their back and walk away from the Lord, thinking in that there will be some kind of solution or joy But just as Samuel calls the people of Israel to hold fast to the Lord and to hold fast to his word, though they have sinned against him, the Lord is, in fact, merciful and gracious. Now, just a reminder where we find ourselves in the narrative of 1 Samuel. Uh, In the previous chapter, last week, we saw where Saul has been appointed king, but he has not yet really earned the trust of the people. He's not really proven himself as a capable king to lead the, the nation and to deliver them from their enemies. And so there was this situation with Nahash, the Ammonite, who was threatening this community called Jabesh to bring them into slavery, to gouge out their eyes, even, we were told, and bring them into bondage. And they, they asked for time to send the word out to the rest of the 12 tribes and ask for help, even though it would seem that this uh, community that had previously abandoned Israel in a time of need would probably not receive help, we saw that through Saul, God does in fact deliver them, and there is a great victory over the Ammonites, and Jabesh is re- is restored, saved from this enemy. So Samuel, after all this takes place, we're told he tells the 12 tribes and we, we see that there's probably almost 350,000 soldiers of Israel who've come out after Samuel and Saul. And, and they're rejoicing and they're celebrating this victory that God has given. And Samuel says, okay, let's go back to Gilgal, uh, this, this important place in Israel's history. And there, he says, we'll, we'll offer sacrifices to God and we will renew the kingdom. And it's there they crown Saul as king and they're establishing the, the kingdom as they are moving Forward. So this is the context in which Samuel is speaking to Israel. He, uh, they have witnessed this great victory. Saul has been officially named king. He has been crowned. The, the people are for him. And then Samuel addresses them as he be, begins to make this transition from that of a judge and a ruler in Israel to now decreasing in his authority, as it were, and giving way for Saul, the king. And first of all, we just see Samuel, his integrity throughout his life. And he sets it up almost like a, a court scene. And we have uh, on the one side, the, the people of Israel. And we have Samuel. And he sets it up almost in this way of, 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 of calling forward any witnesses that might testify against him. And he tells the people, I have done what you have demanded of me. I have put this king over you. And I'm old and gray. The, the the years of my life are coming to an end. And yet he wants them to understand that he is not stepping back simply because of some sin or some dishonesty within him that he has walked with integrity. And actually this in many ways sets up a contrast with Samuel from the king that will rule over them and we see he uh he brings about some tests even he first of all um asks the people if he has taken any of their personal property unjustly has he taken their oxen or has he taken their donkeys and he not only (laughs) yes donkeys and, uh, and he also brings about a test in regards to his character. Not only has he not taken personal property from them, but he has not, not defrauded anyone. He's not manipulated them with his position. He's not even taken bribes. We saw that was the problem with some of the sons of Eli and even Samuel's own sons. They would take bribes to distort justice. And this would have been a very tempting thing for these judges because they could have acquired a lot of wealth. They could have acquired a lot of possessions by taking bribes in order to make a decision favorably towards someone. And Samuel says, I have done none of those things. I have not taken your property unjustly. I have not defrauded you. I have not used my position to manipulate you. I have not been dishonest in any way. And in fact, he invites the people... To testify if if this is wrong, and he he says clearly in verse three, testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And the people say back to Samuel, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he then calls forth the witnesses. The Lord Himself witness in the king that the Lord is the anointed is witness that there is nothing. In his hands, and this is uh, such a an important clarification that Samuel makes at this point, because as he warned them, if they appoint a king, the king will indeed take much from them. He will take their land. He will take their daughters. He will take their sons. He will take uh, essentially a tax from them. And they begin to realize the the foolishness of their decision. The way in which God had structured this people at Mount Sinai was he would be their protector. He would be their king and he would use the the priesthood to to guide them into truth. But God would demand nothing of these people uh, as far as this form of taxes upon them. They are to bring the tithes that belong to God. But other than that, they enjoyed a tremendous amount of freedom and and liberty and protection. And God himself was the one who was protecting them from their enemies. Now, there is a transition where the king will take from them. He will take their oxen and their donkeys. And he will, in a sense, oppress them with all of the expenses of his kingdom, building the palaces and paying all of his officials. I mean, in many ways, we, we still feel this same struggle today, that we live under rulers and governors. And many today feel the, the burden of taxes and, and all of the, the um, exorbitant living of our, our rulers that come at our expense. And this is something that Israel, Samuel saying, willingly brought themselves under. But even greater than that, it was a rejection of God as their king. So Samuel realizes um, that his role is changing. And in some ways, he stands as the first of the prophets. It's interesting, even in Acts 3, um, Peter is preaching and he references the prophets starting at Samuel and moving forward. And this becomes the focus of his ministry, but he reminds the people that he has in fact walked with integrity and with honesty and transparency. And as followers of Christ, this is one of those characteristics that ought to be true of every follower of God, to walk with integrity. That there should be a sense in which we desire to, maybe it's you're moving from one job to another. And there should be a sense in which you could stand before your boss. You could stand before your fellow employees. You could say, I have not taken anything from you. I have not defrauded you. I've not been dishonest with my hours or, or the, the tasks that I've done. I have walked before you in purity and in righteousness. And that doesn't mean that there hasn't been times perhaps even when we have uh, messed up or, or done something we shouldn't but even in those times we come forward and we confess it and we acknowledge it and even the unbeliever will respect us if we are willing to acknowledge our faults and, and maybe it is you know going and saying you know what I, I put down my hours yesterday and I put down an extra 30 minutes I actually didn't work so I wanted just to change that you know and, and, and just to show this level of integrity and honesty in all that we do as well because God himself is a God of truthfulness, of integrity, of honesty. And as his people, we ought to reflect this, even as Samuel did throughout his life. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Samuel could have stood before the people with tremendous wealth and possessions as the result of his uh, dishonesty as a judge, his taking bribes, but he stands rather with a far greater treasure and possession that of one who has walked before them with integrity and has walked with the Lord in the fear of God. Paul would even tell Titus in Titus 2.7, to show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And that was the desire of Paul and the apostles as well. And we know even as Christ comes before the Sanhedrin and comes before the Romans, that again and again they said, there is no sin in this. Now, there's nothing wrong. He, He has not done anything to deserve this. And so may it be of all those who follow Christ. May we desire to walk also in integrity and honesty and transparency before a watching world. This testifies to them that we belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And a willingness to also confess and to make things right when we have violated uh, God's word to one another. To humble ourselves in that way and seek restoration, and this is this also establishes a picture which we will look at, Lord willing, more next week. Because I want to come back to this chapter and consider this role of the prophet, um, which Samuel describes especially in the end here. But we see this picture of the righteous prophet yet being rejected. There was not just a rejection of God. But in the sense of Samuel, God's servant, though he was righteous, though he did not do anything to bring about the the distrust of the people, he walked before them with honesty. And he was not one who demanded to be served, but he himself was a servant prophet. Now, we know that Samuel was not without sin. Um, Certainly, he too, saved by the grace of God, by faith in God. But we see how the Lord has sustained him and he by the strength that God gave, lived out his life and ministry with honesty before the people. And what a, what a joy for one to be able to stand nearing the end of his life and saying, I have walked honestly and openly before you with integrity of heart. That is far better than having great investments and bank accounts and wealth and riches. And you see in our day various people who, yes, maybe they've acquired tremendous wealth as they're ready to retire. But they have have given up their integrity. They've, they've, They've got there by crooked ways and there's no joy in it. Better that we are able to stand with the smile of God upon us. And as we move on into the account, not only do we see Samuel's integrity before the people... But Samuel also exposes the cycle of idolatry throughout these people's history. He is not going to go easy on them. And again, it may seem like Samuel is this wet blanket on the parade of the people um, last time when they were somewhat getting excited about having a king and crying, Long live the king. Samuel rebuked them for their wickedness. And here again, they have experienced this wonderful victory. They're rejoicing and feasting. And they're, they're beginning to feel like a, a people unified. We are now like the other nations. We have a king of our own. And you could just imagine them starting to design their, their logo and their flag. And we're going to be this unified people like the nations And yet Samuel, once again, faithfully being the prophet, exposes their sin and wickedness. And what he does is he exposes this cycle of idolatry. And he goes right back to the heads of the 12 tribes and Jacob, who is... Uh, remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So it's, yes, from Abraham, but really Jacob is, is the one who is given this name Israel. And it's his sons that become the heads of the 12 tribes. So Samuel takes them back to Jacob when he went into Egypt to escape the famine. And as we recall, and even for the you know, the young boys and girls, you remember the story of Joseph And he went into Egypt. And what was it that Joseph warned Pharaoh that was going to happen in Egypt? Do you remember what Joseph warned them was was coming and they needed to prepare for? A famine. famine. Exactly. They, They were going to experience seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And it was this event that brought the people of Israel, Jacob and his children, to Egypt. And as we know, in time, the pharaohs forgot about Joseph. They forgot about how they had been used to deliver the people. And they oppressed them because they grew greatly and they were put into bondage. And Samuel reminds them that as the Egyptians were enslaving Israel and and, and oppressing them greatly, they began to cry to God, praying that God would deliver them, praying that God would, would bring them out of this house of bondage and slavery. And God graciously answered this prayer. He raised up Moses and Aaron who who came to Pharaoh with all of the plagues upon Egypt. And God brought them out with a mighty hand. They came into the, the land that they forgot. But we know that even as the covenant with Moses was being established, the people gave themselves over to idolatry. They formed the calf at the base of the mountain, convincing themselves, this is the God who saved us. You see, they they thought that they were were helping their worship by forming an image that would be Yahweh, that would be the God who saved them, not realizing that their attempt to uh, help facilitate worship actually became the means of their own idolatry. And they forsook God, even before Moses could make it down from the mountain with the tablets of the covenant, and so God, as the people give themselves over to idolatry, Samuel reminds them they were sold into the hand of Sisera, the commander of, the, of Hazor. They were given it over to the Philistines. They were given over to the Moabites. And yet again, they cry to the Lord. So we, we see this cycle of, of uh, being oppressed, being in bondage, being enslaved crying to God for deliverance, God mercifully raising up a deliverer and bringing them out again and again and again. And he used, we're told, Jeroboam, we see some of the judges, um, Barak. Now, some translations there, um, instead of Barak, um, well, uh, let me see, you just have the, uh, Badan. So there's a little bit of discrepancy exactly who Samuel's referencing there as one of the deliverers, But there seems to be no mention anywhere else of a Badan as a judge. It's possible there were other judges, you know, that were not recorded for us. But quite more likely, this was um, one of those errors in translation that initially would have referenced Barak. That certainly makes more sense, uh, seeing that Samuel is likely the author here and, and, and judges of judges, So probably a reference to Barak, there again is some debate exactly who he has in mind. But obviously these are judges that the Lord has used to deliver his people. Uh, Jephthah and then Samuel himself, used by God to deliver out of the hands of the enemy. Now in verse 12, we, we find something strange with this cycle though. Because the pattern has always been, the people come into oppression... They are brought into slavery because of their idolatry, because of their hardness of heart. God delivers them out as they cry to him. They repent and God restores them. But what Samuel is saying happened in this particular situation is, again, an enemy threatens them. This man, Nahash, king of the Ammonites, he is growing in strength. Uh, We're not exactly sure how the timing all unfolded, but it seems that the threat from the Ammonites was part of the main reason they began to call for a king. When every time previous, they had cried to the Lord. They had called out to God. God is our king. And so when we are in trouble, when we are oppressed, we we cry to God and and he is the one who delivers us out. But this time something disturbing happens. They do not cry to God. Instead, they cry for a king, for an earthly ruler to be put over them, that this king might in fact deliver them out from their enemies. And so this is why Samuel keeps talking about them forsaking God as their king. There was no cry to God at this point but for a king. Even though God mercifully does establish a king, and we see him directly involved in that process, and God is working his own plan, decree, through the establishment of the king. But insofar as the people went, this was an act of treachery to their one true king. It would be like a a nation who had already had a, a monarch established, and an enemy threatens their borders. Traditionally, what would obviously happen is you would look to your leader, you would look to that government to bring the army together, to ride out against the the threat and to resolve the issue. But instead, this time, Israel, not looking to their appointed king, looks to themselves and seeks to raise up their own ruler to resolve the problem. That is what Samuel is exposing in them and Samuel does not leave them hopeless though and and this is part of the beauty of this role of the prophet as we begin to see Samuel does not then you know drop the microphone and walk off the stage and you know, brush the dust off his feet and say, good riddance, I'm, I'm, I'm going into the mountains, I'm going to, you know, build my cabin and you guys just do whatever you want with your king, you've got your king, that's it, you know, I'm out of here, uh, I'm going to go retire by a lake somewhere. It would have certainly been tempting for Samuel and we would look at that and say, yeah, he probably would have been justified in doing that. They, they had essentially said, We're, we, we don't want your your leadership, uh, we, we want this king. And yet Samuel graciously stands with the people. And he tells them, not only exposing their wickedness, but we see he gives them instructions going forward. He says in verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And Samuel affirms their rebellion with this sign of thunder and rain. And we may think, well, it doesn't seem all that unusual to have thunder and rain to affirm their wickedness. But we're told it's the wheat harvest. And in that part of the world, It was almost unheard of to have thunder and rain at this point. It would be something like getting a foot of snow in the middle of July. It just generally doesn't happen. And so as Samuel prays to God in the thunder and rain comes upon them, they realize their sin, they, they realize that, that Samuel is in fact speaking for God, and they have offended this holy God. It brings up the, the picture of, of the people of Israel standing at the base of Mount Sinai, and they are given the, the, the law of God. Do this and you will live. Forsake me and you will be cursed. And there is thunder and lightning and the people tremble. And and they cry to Moses, Moses, you go speak to God. You go deal with this God. We are too afraid. And that is essentially the effect here. Samuel reminds them of the law, of the covenant. Obey the voice of the Lord. Obey his word and it will go well. If you do not obey, then the Lord will turn you over and you will be swept away. And it almost has this Sinai feel, even as he reestablishes the covenant and calls them to obedience to God. Now, we may think that because we are in the new covenant, that this temptation, this cycle of idolatry is no longer really something we have to worry about, no longer something we need to really consider but if you flip just for a moment, I want to just read a few verses from Revelation 3. Because here in Revelation 3, we have Christ himself addressing these seven churches that become types of churches that will go on throughout the last days. And we find very similar warnings, even as Jesus addresses these churches. In Revelation three seventeen specifically... The final church that he addresses, the church of Laodicea, we see they too thought themselves a people that were were good with God, they thought they were prospering and had no needs, no threats, but Jesus tells them in Revelation 3, verse 15, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments. So you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we see that just as Israel has this temptation, this tendency to forsake God, to give themselves over to idols and to things which cannot save, this is an ongoing struggle and battle for every follower of Christ and for the church of Christ who is the now Israel of God. And so the the warnings that Samuel gives, the instructions that he gives, very much apply to us as well. But we must understand that what Samuel gives them is not so much the gospel as it is primarily the, the standard of the law. Now there is grace in this, but we must remember that the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength... And to love your neighbor as yourself, on the other hand, this is not the gospel. This is the law. This is the requirement of the people of God. This is exactly what Israel failed to do and, in fact, could not do. But this remains the standard of God. This remains the calling of every follower of Christ. And so we have to distinguish in our minds and our hearts before God, the difference between the law and the gospel, or we'll end up in a form of bondage and legalism, either thinking ourselves so religious that we can obtain to this law, this standard, that we actually can love God with our whole heart, or we will end up in a sort of despair, feeling ourselves feeling ourselves weak and unable to live up to this standard and and ending up in despair, probably resulting ultimately in walking away from God because we cannot bear up under this sort of burden. And so the gospel, the good news, comes in the form in verse 22... We get this reference from Samuel, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And there is this pointing to the Lord's covenant faithfulness with his people. This is why Samuel did not exit the stage and just pack up his things and leave Israel that day. This is why God does not turn his back on Israel at this point and say, you know what? If you want a king, if you want to be like the other nations, then fine. You can have it and I'm going to go start another people, maybe with Samuel. And, uh, and yet why is it that the people still have hope? Why is it that Samuel tells them, do not fear. Don't give over to this sort of slavish fear in your heart but seek the Lord press on towards him why because the Lord has purposed to make you a people for himself he has established this covenant of redemption this covenant of grace in Christ through which we are made the people of God this is the basis of our hope of our assurance this is from where the gospel comes God himself will hold us, will keep us. He will not abandon us because he cannot abandon himself. And as we enter into the blessing of the gospel that Christ himself has come to to perfectly obey the law, loving God, loving neighbor, Christ himself then offering his life as the perfect substitute of our sin because of our idolatry, and Christ rising from the dead, it's in him that we enjoy this covenant faithfulness of God. And we, like the people of Israel, must be reminded, do not turn away from God. Do not forsake him after things that are empty and cannot profit or deliver. They, they are empty and we live, in a, we live in a culture of many impressive so-called cisterns or wells where we are told we can find satisfaction for our souls. We live in a prosperous land with much opportunity and, 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 and these things can, can promise us a degree of joy and contentment. But Samuel is saying, don't turn aside. Seek after the Lord. He alone will be your portion. And a quote from uh, a quote from john piper on the reminder of the temptation of idolatry that we face and the call to to seek the lord first and foremost he says for all the ill that satan can do when god describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love it is a piece of land a yoke of oxen and a wife the greatest adversary uh, adversary sorry of love to god is not his enemies but his gifts And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. And so we have to continually be on guard. We, We ought to be praying, Lord, give me a heart that seeks you, that delights in you restore to me this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because the problem that we have is is not so much even a head knowledge all the time, it is this inability to truly love and delight in what we ought to love and delight in, which is God himself. And we we have to continually turn away from things that promise us satisfaction and joy, and we must continually re Fix our gaze upon Christ Himself. Even in John 6, and I couldn't help but think of this uh, yesterday, you know, giving out some water bottles and resources. It's amazing how far somebody will come for a, a bottle of water, especially when the sun is hot and everyone is feeling thirsty, and people will, you know, walk across the town almost for. A bottle of water, but to perceive your spiritual thirst, to perceive your spiritual need, that is something that man is unable to do apart from the Spirit of God. And this is why even in John 6, Jesus fed the people with bread and fish, and naturally the next day they're hungry again, they come seeking Christ, and he tells them in John six twenty six. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And this is where we too must continually abide, looking to Christ, looking to God, looking to this covenant-keeping God to hold us fast, to be our portion, to be the one who will defend us from the enemy and see us through to the very end. And I love the verse that Paul reminds Timothy with as he um, Closes his second letter to Timothy as we remember um, God as the covenant keeping, faithful God. And we'll close with this this morning 2, 2 Timothy 2 uh, 8. Paul says to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And that is exactly what Samuel is reminding the people. Though you have been faithless, though you have been guilty of turning away from God, your king, your provider, your deliverer, he is faithful. And because you are a people called by his name, whom he has purchased with his very blood, then take hope, do not... Do not give over to a slavish fear of God, but run to him, seek him, hold fast to him, cling to God as your only hope, and he will sustain you and be mercifully, and act mercifully towards you. There was a prayer, I don't know if this was Spurgeon, I didn't have the author of it, but I thought it was very fitting as well, as a prayer, as we close, said, O my soul, set not thine affections upon rusting, moth-eating, uh, moth-eaten, eating moth decaying treasures, but set thy heart upon him who abides forever faithful to thee. Build not thy house upon the moving quicksands of a deceitful world, but found thy hopes upon this rock, which amid descending treasures in the only secure cabinet store thy jewels where thou can never lose them. Put thine all in Christ, set all thy affections on his person, all thy hope in his merit, all thy trust in his efficacious blood, all thy joy in his presence, and so thou mayest laugh at loss and defy destruction. And that is the call for us this morning as well. Hold fast to God. Do not be deceived at the many empty promises of life all around us, but cling fast to our Savior. And let us bow in prayer as we close and we will prepare to take the Lord's table as well, remembering uh, the sacrifice that Christ made for our salvation. So bow with me and then we will uh, prepare to come to the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for your word and Lord, just these incredible accounts of how you have, Lord, continued to bear with your people. Lord, we realize that there was nothing in Abraham or Israel that would have caused you to set them apart from all the other nations Lord but it was simply because of your grace and mercy that you set upon them and Lord that you have purposed from them to bring forth Christ the Messiah Lord preparing the way through the prophets and time and time again delivering your people when they cried to you even turning the selfish requests of a king into a wonderful picture of christ and bringing him from the line of israel's king lord we we pray that you help us in this day to hold fast we know that there are many threats and enemies that still come against us lord trials and tribulations that can cause our hearts to grow faint help us to hold fast to you to walk According to your word, trusting, Lord, that you are faithful even when our faith is waning. Your, your, fa- your faithfulness is steadfast and true. And we ask your blessing upon the Lord's table as we partake together. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his bloodshed and his body broken. For his resurrection and the hope of our resurrection with him from the dead. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you
0: for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.